Heavenly Father, thank you for our brother David. Thank you for the way that he has been studying your word and for his love for your word. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that through David you will bring his word, your word, alive to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for having us, uh, Gideons. The, um, there was a change in the Constitution. We had ladies before, actually, but now we're all the same. So it's a change of our Constitution, and we're very, very pleased about that. Um, I'm very pleased to be here because I haven't been here with a Bible in my hand quite like this since 1984. And uh, a lot of things have happened since 1984. Uh, Not very long ago I spoke to a former vicar of Whitcomb who said that when he came to be the vicar of Whitcomb, and this must have been in about 1970-something, he was told by the bishop on his first day, you will never have another curate in Whitcomb. So, it may be that that's got something to do with the subject tonight, the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. So, please keep your Bible open if you have one, or or if you're electronic, keep it uh, live. Christians are being changed. We don't stay the same. We're being changed by his spirit. So let's just pray for a minute. Lord, please speak to us now by your spirit that we may become the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is a bit like a carpenter's toolbox, full of all the most wonderful, wonderful tools you might ever need for life. Much more useful if the carpenter actually opens it. And so that's why Gideon's place the Bible and pray. And that's a wonderful story. That people will actually open and read the word. Well, we had our change of constitution. And Paul is talking about a a change of constitution Um, in Galatians. He's talking about changes in constitution and status. And just a bit of context, he starts in chapter 4, verse 4, by saying, when the time had fully come, about 2,000 years after the promise to Abraham, quite a long time when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons that means daughters too, same word so you're no longer a slave but a son, that's a change of constitution Beginning of chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then verse 13, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. Well now we're, we're all changing, we're all works in progress I have to say that because when we talk about patience I'm not patient I'm prone to some of the one of the things in the other list um, and that's not 
we've had a, a word about speaking the truth so we'll come to that in a minute so there's a conflict in us between the Holy Spirit whom we now have within us as Christians on the one hand and the old sinful nature on the other and Paul helps us here because he uses the past tense in verse 24 when he says those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires so that has happened but this old nature seems to keep bobbing up it certainly does with me and verses 16 to 19 tell us what that looks like uh, the one I'm talking about in particular is fits of rage uh, just so you don't think it's one of the others <laughs> so we, we do hope and pray and desire that God will change us and he's been promising to change us for really quite a long time in Ezekiel 36 500 years before Jesus comes to bring about the change he promises that he will put his spirit in us and move us to follow his decrees and then in Jeremiah 31 he promises to put those laws those decrees in in our hearts that's our innermost being the bit we make decisions with and his verbs in verses 16 and 25 and 19 and 21 about living in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit or walking with the spirit they are words which I'm reliably informed the Greek means go on doing it habitually do these things so the good news really is that one fit of rage has not destroyed my faith, future or life but I ought to be going on doing the things that God wants us to do uh, the tricky bit uh, and this is awkward again, a little bit more Greek, not much more Greek, just one the word fruit is singular it's a bit distressing that because it really means that all Christians are expected by God to produce all the fruit. It's not like gifts where some may have one, some may have another. And it's not like gifts which might arrive immediately in one go, you know, a gift on a Christmas tree with your name on it. It's for you. It's got your name on it. All you have to do is to receive it. Whether you open it and use it is perhaps up to you. But it's, that's instantaneous. But fruit grows. And it tends to grow slowly. And the one we're thinking about tonight, not the one, the aspect of fruit that we're thinking about is, is the word translated patience in the, in the version we have but I don't think it's entirely clear because it goes on to talk about self-control the list is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness self-control so how do you say this God made a mistake somehow and, and put something in twice or does he mean something different by patience and self-control? So you look in the, the word for the same sort of word in another context to see if it will help you out on that. And we get to uh, Ephesians 4.2 Be completely gentle and patient bearing with each other in love got something to do with bearing with each other and if we think about it look at it perhaps the original if you look in 
for example, the authorised version, it's not translated patience, it's translated long-suffering. So if you look, say, at 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow keeping his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient, long-suffering towards us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You think, well, that's, that's quite strange, the idea that God waits for a long time. He's prepared to wait for some of us to respond to him. Some of perhaps not of us here, maybe of our friends and relations, perhaps even our parents, perhaps the most difficult, or siblings, the most difficult people to share faith with. He's, he's prepared to wait. So I think this patient word is a bit more to do with endurance and perseverance and standing firm and being faithful than it is simply not getting cross when you can't switch the telly to the program you actually want or you've missed it or uh, somebody's eaten the last bit of bacon in the fridge I knew a woman who prayed for 35 years for her husband to become a Christian she prayed every day, 35 years and on the day before the day of his death he became a Christian now that's long suffering, that's prayer over a long time with an enormous amount of her emotion and her life bound up in it that's the sort of fruit I think that uh, God's talking about here and Tim's friend had been pretty dramatically changed Miles Handy by, by his experience of God and within days he was sharing that with other people other people take rather longer than that it takes some of us some years before we can actually manage to, to share anything so this is fruit and perhaps the most fruitful sort of piece of vegetation that, that the gospel tells us about is a vine in John 15 so if we think about a vine for a minute or two what does a vine do? what does a vine do? You've, somebody must have seen a vine heard of a vine what does it do? I'll tell you what it does, right? It's all very quiet. I think this. I think that the vine changes natural things, soil, water, air, CO2, sunlight, photosynthesis, I believe, because I'm not a um, scientist, but I seem to remember the word, changes by those things. Those things are changed into grapes. Now, that's, that's change, isn't it? And that's a natural vine making a natural change because of its nature. That's what a vine does. A, 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 a cabbage doesn't produce that sort of fruit, does it? It's different. But a vine, by the nature, produces fruit of its own sort, Genesis 1. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, in John 15, verse 5, and you are the branches. If a person remains in me, or abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is it that gives us this ability to endure, this perseverance, this, this long-suffering? It's God's Spirit in us. That's why it's called fruit of the Spirit. And it's changing 
our hearts, changing our characters so that that fruit grows. The Spirit outworks, as it were, God's love and his character in the lives of Christians and in the lives of the church. don't always see it quite like that. But if we abide, if we remain, if we inhabit day by day, step by step in the Spirit of God, forgiveness by forgiveness, prayer by prayer, worship by worship, need by need, repentance by repentance perhaps, meditation by meditation, worship by worship, action by action, sickness by sickness, difficulty by difficulty, then something will happen. We've been singing that God is faithful. We've been singing about his promises. 2 Timothy 13 has one. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if God has promised that he'll be in us, and if we abide in him, we will, not might, we will bear much fruit, then that's his promise. And we might be able to hold him to that promise, if we're willing to see the change in us. And and why is that a good thing? Who, who does the fruit belong to? The fruit doesn't actually belong to me, does it? If I show any decent fruit, it, it, it's not mine. If God's produced it, it's, it's his. And so it might be for his glory, or it might be that other people will see a change or hear something, and perhaps even come to faith. Big change in miles, within days, somebody sees that change, comes to faith. And there's a healing. Assumption. As Tim said, some of us wait for years for that so what is God's character if his spirit is working his character in us what is it about God's character that we ought to think about that there's a word in the Old Testament it's obviously a word in Hebrew and so when you see it transliterated into English it isn't in the Hebrew characters it may even be the other way about really but it's translated generally hesed meaning steadfast covenant loving kindness and I think that's the equivalent of this patience word that we get if God is like that and that is what he wants of us then that's going to require change in my case but it's also going to be something which outworks to his glory and how odd verse 22 does contain kindness, love faithfulness would you think for a moment of Exodus 34 just after the golden calf now God's given his law he's revealed himself in power on Mount Sinai and while Moses is away meeting with God and getting his instructions the route map for the next step on the journey to the land that's promised they build a, they melt their jewellery and they make a an idol to worship. Now that is as big a slap in the face, really, for God, as I can just imagine at the moment. And immediately after that, God is, is revealing himself to Moses on the mountain. And it says this, the Lord God proclaimed his name to Moses on the mountain. Now some of this might be, this name might be familiar to you because we've been singing some of these words earlier. The Lord 
God proclaimed his name to Moses on the mountain. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's quite a name. And in the Old Testament, a name is very closely associated with character. When Jacob is born, he's called Jacob, which means one who supplants, takes over. Later on, he becomes Israel, which means, I think, something like prince. So he now has a new relationship, a new purpose, and uh, a new status. So, God is faithful as part of his name and his character. What should we do about that? Well, we can hold him to it. Psalm 86 starts with just that. It says, You are Lord. I beg your pardon. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, that's his name. We've just had that, so that's what he's like. We can rely on that. And then the psalmist says, So, turn to me, have mercy on me, save me, strengthen me, comfort me. So we can take God at his name, and that's his character, when we need any of those things. Uh, this morning I went to a different church, and we had uh, Nehemiah 9:17 after the building of the wall. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, just in that verse there is, you're a faithful God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. There is, this, this verse has been haunting me all day and all week. But what does it mean, really, when we mess up a little bit? Think of Peter uh, in Luke 22. Jesus says to Peter, this is just before they go to Gethsemane and Jesus is taken prisoner. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's that same sort of endurance, isn't it? It's that same sort of steadfastness. Will Peter's faith, will Peter have an, enough faith? Will he be able to hold on? Will he be steadfast when he faces Jesus being taken away? Peter, of course, says, I'm thinking, sorry, getting ahead of myself. The last part of that verse Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So not if, but when. Jesus knows that we're going to mess up from time to time and that our faith alone is not enough, that we need him. And think of Jesus praying for us. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Peter, of course, says, I'm ready to go with you to prison or to the death. And he may believe it at the time. But Jesus says, before the cock crows, you will three times say that you don't know me. And we know because we read the rest that that's exactly what happened. And also we know because we've read the rest that Jesus meets Peter by the lake and reinstates him and gives him tasks involving strengthening his brothers. So there's Peter, too frightened to admit to a barmaid that he knows Jesus. Then he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God at Pentecost. And within a very short time after that, 
he's on his feet talking to a crowd of 3,000 people and saying to them this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ that's a change that's pretty steadfast it's difficult enough to stand up and talk to uh, a number of people but 3,000 no microphone and then a little bit after that when he's been arrested and told he mustn't do that and he carries on he's, he's in front of the Sanhedrin the very group of people who had recently just a few weeks before handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified and what did he say to them? salvation is found in no one else no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved And Jesus himself, when he was before the Sanhedrin, his long-suffering, his endurance, his patience is astonishing. If you read in Mark, he doesn't say anything until the high priest says, uh, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And he replies with the name of God. I am Yahweh. We've sung that today too. And Hebrews says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. He promises that the Holy Spirit will bring things to our remembrance, will teach us about him. Consider him if we're facing something that makes us weary or we think there's a risk of, of losing heart or read Isaiah 52 and 53 Jesus' disciples are often described as not terribly bright I think that's a bit unkind really but at any rate for three years Jesus had lived in very close proximity to these disciples in, including the, the one Philip and in, uh, in John 14 when he's just just explaining the, the, the last things before the crucifixion is going to fulfill everything that he's been talking about, everything in the Old Testament, everything that God has, has planned is going to be encapsulated in that moment. And um, Philip doesn't seem even to know who he is. And he says, don't you know me, Philip? Happily, by John 16... Jesus has been so plain and so clear in saying that he's come from God and he's going back to God that at last the disciples say oh now we believe and Jesus says you believe at last it's as if three years of ministry and they've only just rumbled it but it's like that all the time isn't it because we discover new things and the penny drops and we think oh how could I have been so stupid how does fruit actually grow at this stage I'm going to attempt a joke um, this may be the worst joke that you have ever heard I think it probably is the worst joke because the chap who told it to me is here and I can't see him he's high ah yes got him and he has denied stoutly no 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 this is a Gideon who told me this joke and today has denied ever telling it to me because he's <laughs> or ever knowing it or remembering it anyway once upon a time, there were three balloons. Uh, Mummy balloon, Daddy balloon, 
and baby balloon. They all lived together in a house. Uh, and they were all in bed, tucked up. But baby balloon had a nightmare. And so he toddled along to daddy balloon and mummy balloon's uh, bedroom because he wanted to pop into their bed for a bit of comfort and a cuddle. Don't ask me why he's got legs to toddle along when he's a balloon. But anyway, he tries to climb in to his, to his parents' bed. But there just, there just isn't room, really. So he lets a little bit of air out of daddy balloon. And he tries again. And there's still not quite enough room. So he lets a bit of air out of mummy balloon. And that isn't enough either. And then he lets a little bit of air out of himself. And ties up with the non-existent arms and fingers the, the top of the balloon. And now there's room. And he's comfortable. And he's feeling better. And Daddy Balloon wakes up. And he's very cross. Very full of himself. Very full of hot air. And he tells Baby Balloon off. He says, now wait for it. You've let your father down. You've let your mother down. And worst of all altogether, you've let yourself down. Is that the worst joke in the world? It's pretty close. Pretty close, thank you. Yeah. But there's a teeny little bit of truth in it, or I wouldn't be telling you, because we do need to let a little bit, perhaps quite a lot, even maybe all the hot air that we have in our, our self-regard, our self-importance, and so on. If we're going to grow fruit in the spirit, we need to lose a bit of our selves and concentrate our thoughts and attention upon the Lord. Uh, that particular story is more often rendered from John 3.30 as follows. John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's the nub. If we're going to grow, we need to shrink. Nearly there. Romans 5 has this to say, because long-suffering patience isn't just for the ordinary times. And, and exam times can be very stressful. There are other times which can be even more stressful if you happen to be living, for example, in Syria or Egypt or India or Pakistan or Nigeria as a Christian then you may find that you need a great deal of patience. So Romans 5 says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now that might be persecution, it might be tragic loss in the family, it might be sickness, it might be other difficulties, it might be some kind of, something has a grip. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love. Oh, there we are again. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. We do receive him when we believe. Now, I want, if I may, to read you an example of fruit of the Spirit of God in the life of a family. Because Paul is setting this whole chapter in the context of how does this play out in 
the family, the city, the body, whichever word we use for the community that we're in. Bear with me while I find it. This is from a magazine produced by somebody called Sat7 who broadcast um, Christian material in the Middle East. Mrs. Isis Gattas Dawood is the mother of Coptic Christians Bishoy and Samuel, two of the 21 Egyptians beheaded on a Libyan beach in February 2015 by so-called IS. The night after that, IS released a video of their deaths. Mrs. Darwood's oldest son, Bashir, spoke live on this broadcast over the whole of the Middle East saying that their painful ordeal had made the family stronger in our faith because the Bible tells us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Your two brothers have been beheaded in public on a beach. On the 30th of May, so a few weeks later, in Cairo's Coptic Orthodox Cathedral, a video is shown of Mrs. Dawood speaking of her faith in God. Millions of people saw this, this testimony. Mrs. Dawood voiced her forgiveness and said she prayed for the killers of her two younger sons. Speaking of how they had chosen martyrdom rather than renounce their faith, she said that she would not be afraid to make the same choice. If my children weren't scared, why would I be? Now that's fruit. That's long-suffering. That's love. There's joy there somehow. There's peace there. And some of the other aspects of that fruit. But this comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from time with him, meditation with him, worship, reading, prayer, confession, repentance, forgiveness, and receiving, and growing. And it's not for us, it's for God, that the world may see what he can do with people like us, what he can do, and what he has done, and bring them to faith. Amen.